In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. These are very tough sayings. I don't know about you, but these are amongst the hardest passages in the Bible, certainly within the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Is anger the moral equivalent of murder? Jesus poses before us. And is lust the same thing as adultery? That's the plain reading of the question. So earlier this week when I was meditating on this really hard passage that some preachers like to skip over on Sundays, I thought, where's Mark Twain when you need him? So I looked on my bookshelf and I found my family Mark Twain and found a few gems I want to start off with. Once an eccentric businessman of questionable ethics declared to Mark Twain this, Before I die, I want to climb to the top of Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments out loud. To which Twain replied, Well, I have a better idea. Why don't you stay right here and keep them? (laughs) Twain recounted another story about listening to a long-winded preacher named Mr. Hawley. Some years ago, In Hartford, Twain reported, we all went to church on a hot and sweltering night to hear this annual report of Mr. Hawley, a city missionary. He told of life in the cellars where poverty resided. He gave instances of the heroism and devotion to the poor. And Twain went on, this Mr. Hawley worked me up to such a great state. I couldn't wait for him to get through with his sermon. I had $400 in my pocket. I wanted to give that and even more to borrow to give. You could see greenbacks in every eye. But Mr. Hawley didn't pass the plate, and it grew hotter, and we got sleepier. And my enthusiasm, it went down and down and down, $100 at a time. I was going to give just $300 and then $200. Till finally, when the plate came around, I stole 10 cents. (laughs) And lastly, my favorite from Twain, he said about religion and the Bible, he said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand that bother me the most. I think when we listen to this passage from the Sermon on the Mount, that feeling of judgment may come for whatever reason, as we've walked in our life with a loving God. And at the heart of these teachings of Jesus is a great moral center. All of Jesus' teachings in this Sermon on the Mount seem easy to understand in a plain reading, but really, really hard to follow. There's no perfection in this life with God for us. 
God doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to love each other. But these questions linger with me. Is anger the moral equivalent of murder? And is lust the same thing as adultery? Why would Jesus put such a fine point on it and almost force it on us? It may be tempting to pass by these passages, but I think these hard sayings deserve attention. We know there's a difference between thinking something and doing something. We know that, and we know that in the law. In our system of law, there's a difference between wanting to do something and acting on it. Imagining I would strike some person is not the same legally as striking that person. We know this. And we know that it's much worse to commit murder than it is to be angry. It's much worse to commit adultery than it is to have lust in our heart. It's not better to cut off our hand if it offends us or to gouge out our eye if it offends us. But on the other hand, these sayings have something to teach us. And this is the framing I find most helpful for the hard teachings. We're called to live an examined life. Jesus is asking us through his own hard way to have a soul life to examine ourselves and to cultivate an interior life by which we can love more fully and have a contrite and open heart. What goes on in our soul is important, Jesus is saying to us, even if it's difficult in the way he says it. He's calling us to remember we have a soul and to have a soul life. In Aramaic, right, the language of Jesus there's a wonderful word that I find helpful for this difficult teaching, and it's ihidaya, which relates to having a soul life. It's most simply translated as single, but it has a broad scope of meaning, especially in its time. Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is the true ihidaya. Those of us who wait for him who pray that love would be manifest in our lives and that we would incarnate love more and more, we are the ihidaye. And in our call to participate in this imagining with Christ, we become ihidaye when we do so from a oneness of heart, a gladness and singleness of heart, not divided, not murky, and not given over to evil things. So when I hear Christ's words from this difficult gospel, these varied meanings kind of come together centered on that word, singleness, one, gladness of heart. Christ is calling us to ruthless self-examination. He's not hiding the fact that the call is really important. Our very lives depend on it, he says. I know that my heart is an idol factory, If left to my own devices, I know it will make idols out of something or even somebody. Left to my own devices, I will objectify something or somebody. Jesus knew that about me and my heart, and I think he knows it about us. We're prone to do these things, and we have inner wounds. We nurse these wounds, and sometimes we allow them to take over our whole life, and we stop even examining ourselves because we've become too wounded. 
And when we build up our idols, whether it's out of woundedness or not, Jesus still reminds us elsewhere, not in this passage, that the whole of the law, the Ten Commandments, and the prophets, the teachings of Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah, it's to love God with a whole heart. And not just that, but a whole mind, an integrated soul. It's soul work because we're soul people. And it's when we cease to trust in this kind of love, a singleness of heart kind of love, that when we neglect the fullness and oneness of our hearts, I think that's when we, or at least I, trust in outward action. I trust in the perfection of an outward action like a form of a politic or a perfect form of gender or a perfect form of some sort of thing that has very little to do maybe with my own inner life with God. It's fine to murder a guy. You just can't hate him. Jesus isn't saying that. I think the issue is not the action itself, but action misused to build a kind of moral resume, to trust in our own righteousness. That my own thinking about my perfection outwardly is somehow connected to the love of God. I think Jesus is saying, I have it flipped around. Start with yourself first. Examine your heart. Encourage others to examine their hearts. Maybe if we did that, we wouldn't be set on edge with one another, politically or socially or in other ways. We can't satisfy the needs of the heart with outward things. It's the heart devoted to God that produces the fruit of holy action. Pablo Picasso, one of my favorite artists, once said this, everything you can imagine, everything you can imagine is real. The NFL and advertising firms working for businesses selling products to us tonight, they know this to be true. Everything you can imagine is real. Their bottom line depends on it. Colin Kaepernick, when he knelt for racial justice, protesting against police brutality, he knew, like Pablo Picasso, that everything you can imagine is real. And at a spiritual level, even deeper, what we imagine can be very real, and it can become even a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I meditate on anger all day, whether it's justified or not, then I become anger. And I become separated from the God who said, there's no separation at all. Jesus is inviting us into an urgent sense of connection to this fact. If we can imagine the good, though, if we start from gladness and singleness of heart, imagining the good, great relationships, and a loving village, a loving world, if we can imagine nonviolence, which is hard to do, in a violent world, and it takes practice and spiritual strength, then we'll be able to make those visions come true. And we see it throughout our lives. Those that can imagine can do. If we imagine anger, it can be indeed just as spiritually vicious as murder. And lust can indeed be just as spiritually vicious as adultery, if that's what's filling our heart. I want to end with Mark Twain, who I love because he points out the lighter things, 
that are also serious. Mark Twain said this, you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. For us, or at least for me, listening to Jesus is about training an imagination and training a heart for a lifetime. Not for perfection or for one moment, but training it for a lifetime, for full life, and most especially for full love. As hard as it is sometimes listening to Jesus, it's about imagining something beautiful and something great. And that's the kingdom of God, the brother and sisterhood in which there's no separation and in which we love from a single heart. Amen.